This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. I want to thank Apostle Theo for the opportunity of teaching you tonight and spending just a little brief time encouraging you. That's my responsibility to feed you tonight, and I'm grateful for that. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we open up in prayer, and I really hope that the word tonight is going to fall on fertile soil, on hearts that have been tilled and are ready to receive the word of God. Say this, my heart is sensitive and tender. Tonight, it's ready to receive the living word of God. I will be forever transformed by his life-giving word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats. Praise the Lord. One of the second greatest lessons that Apostle Theo taught me and the advice he gave me was this, was bring your Bible to church. A dirty Bible is a clean Christian. A clean Bible is a dirty Christian. And he gave me this tip, and I'm going to give you this tip tonight. He said, whenever you come to church with your Bible and the pastor tells you what the subject title is going to be, write the subject title of his message on one of the blank pages in the front of your Bible. And then with the first scripture reference he uses, you only put the first scripture reference under that title. And then as he teaches and goes from verse to verse, you create a chain of promises as part of his message. So when time goes by in the years to come, you can go back in your Bibles and you can take a look and you'll see my Bible is full of them. I've even got Rodney Howard Brown stuff in here. Just a message title with a verse. I find that verse in my Bible and next to that verse, I've written the next verse. And then next to that verse, I've written the next verse. So really, all of Pastor Theo's subjects and all the passages I've heard are practically written down on an index in my Bible. Can I see your Bibles? How many of you are not your phones? How many of you have your Bibles with you tonight? Wave them at me if you've got your Bible with you. Okay, well, in future, we're a Bible church, amen? We're going back to the good old school hard copy of the Scripture. Can I get a big amen? We are techno, we give you the notes, but we really want you to bring your Bibles with you to church. Well, the title of my message this evening is, What is the One Thing that we're all going to need a lot more of come 2022. What is the one thing, Pastor Andre? Now, you might say, well, where did you get this one thing from? Well, as I mentioned, my wife and I were traveling recently on holiday, and we decided to take the road less traveled. I mean, we covered over 2,000 kilometers of dirt roads, going to places like Lesser Sing and Hondeklip Bay and Kurinkorl Bay and all these funny places. We had to drive corrugated roads for miles hundreds of miles. And so we were traveling from Springbok to a place called Hondeklip Bay, and you have to go through this little town called Komichas. How many of you have heard of Komichas before? Can I see your hands? Come on, you've got, you got to be South African, you've got to know where Komichas is. No, because I didn't know what it was. And we came into this town, my wife and I were driving, and we were thinking, discussing, thinking to ourselves, who on earth would live here? It looks post-apocalyptic. In actual fact, as you drive, you just see little heads peek out the windows as the people live there. A lot of the Khoi people live there and the Nama people stay there. It's a predominantly colored community that speaks 95% of them are Afrikaans speaking. And so my fuel was running low, and so we drove into Komichas thinking to ourselves, who would live here? They've got nothing. There's not a supermarket. There's not a, there's not a petrol station that I could see, which made me nervous. And so we pulled over on the side of the road to this small little hockey kind of pandoki place, and there were kids outside. And so I said to the kids over there, I said, do you guys have petrol over here? And at first he went, huh? I said, do you sell petrol? 
and they say, Agvitnek would make Umruf, I've got to call my uncle. So before the uncle got there, I was peeking through the door and I noticed the shelves. This was obviously the shop right checkers of Komichas because it only had one bag of sugar, one bag of bay, one can of baked beans, one Coke. I mean, the town was so small, he was stocked. He was stocked. And I, we looked and I looked and I, and I noticed and I looked into the window and I thought to myself, again, who would want to live under these circumstances, you know? These people must be depressed, distraught, feeling disregarded and, and completely cut off. And the isolation is what caught us. And so the old man came to, and I have to do it in Afrikaans first, and then I'll translate into English for those of you who don't understand. So I said, this my Frau Christina is Andre. Who can it meet you? Now remember what is going on in my mind. And this old man looks at me and he says, Sien altijd mooi. Altijd mooi. So I was asking him, how are you doing? And in English translation, which really doesn't do it justice, he says, always wonderfully. And I tell you, you can ask my wife. It hit me like a ton of bricks. We had to travel another 300-odd kilometers to get to where we were going on dirt roads. And all we discussed was how this old man who had nothing seemed just so completely content. And I realized that that sort of contentment when you've got nothing, to respond that way in those circumstances, takes a deep-rooted faith in God. And let me say this, every single person we ministered to on that entire trip was born again. I think Northern Cape is undergoing a revival. Everyone over there loves God. Come on, let's give God a hand of praise. And so, and so when I was asked to minister tonight because the, the, the schedule shuffled around a bit, and I was reflecting on what this, this elderly gentle said to me, he didn't say altate good. He says, everything is always beautiful. And Luke chapter 18 and verse 8, with these two things in mind, Jesus said, when I come, will I find faith in the earth? And I thought to myself, if Jesus came into Komichas at that moment, even though the man had nothing, he would have found a heart filled with faith. Do you know what? I left that place with a paid-off car, going on holiday, envying a man who had nothing, but was completely content in God. And so that began to stir up this message as I began to put pen to paper and write down some thoughts because truly this man had discovered the power in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. I honestly felt like this man was in a better position than I was. I'd been traveling for thousands of kilometers on a dirt road. If someone at that moment had asked me, how are you doing? I would have said, irritated. <laughs> how many of you found yourself in that place? If you were asked right now, how are you doing? How many of you would honestly, instinctively, out of your spirit say, always beautifully, always beautifully? So, that's what stirred me up to teach tonight, just briefly, the importance of applying our faith. How do we apply our faith so that each and every one of us, like that old gentleman in Komichas, can boldly tackle 2022? We don't know what's going to happen. 
God does. We don't know what's going to happen, but any time in 2022, when someone asks us, so how are you doing? You can tell them, altate moi. Altate moi. I'm carrying those two words with me into 2022. Altate moi. So why is faith important? And I'm not going to define faith tonight for the sake of time. I'm going to assume everybody here knows exactly what faith is. And faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That faith has substance. That faith is a verb. It's not a belief system. It's actions that correspond to what we know and believe about God. So I'm not going to be teaching that aspect of faith, but I do want to clarify tonight as I go towards the conclusion of this message in getting us to that place, I want to ask some questions. Why is faith so important? Well, let's see what the Bible says concerning faith. In Romans 1 verse 17, it says, the just shall live by faith. Our very survival as children of God depends upon faith, not feeling not circumstances, faith alone. Romans 3.22 says this, that right standing with God comes through faith alone. That means your ability to have a right relationship with God, to believe that God continually loves you, wants to bless you, and wants what's best for you, is going to take faith. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 1 that we are justified by faith. What does that mean? That means that our knowing that God is going to bless us regardless of all of our imperfections and treat us like we've never committed a sin in our lives is going to depend on faith. Think about that for a moment. Your understanding of God's willingness to love you, bless you, and look after you is going to depend upon your faith. If there is no faith, you said to me, Pastor Andre, how can you prove it? Well, Jesus said when he spoke about, when he spoke about the, 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 the sower, um, the parable of the five, 10, and 15 talents. The man says, I know that you're, you're, you're a man that does, reaps where you do not sow. You do this, you do that. And he said, well, according to you, be it unto you. If that's your perception of God, that's the way God is going to treat you. Not our God, but a God. Romans 5 verses 2 says that we gain access into grace by faith. Romans 11 verse 20 says we will stand by faith. The ability to endure everything that's going to take place in your life is going to take faith. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says that we cannot walk this walk without faith. Galatians 3.25 says faith has come so that we may no longer be judged by the law. And then finally Romans 14.23 as a verse says whatever is not of faith is Sin. So just from a biblical perspective, can we see that we need faith to survive? But as I mentioned earlier on, faith is a verb. It's a doing word. It demands corresponding action. Once you've heard God say something, it demands corresponding action. So who has faith? Good question. Well, again, it doesn't matter what you feel or what you believe. Let's see what the Bible says. Who has faith? Romans 12 verse 3 says this, to each one, can you repeat that after me? Everyone, to each one, the Bible says here, to each one has been apportioned a measure of faith. Every single person in this room tonight and those of you watching online have been apportioned by God a measure of faith. This faith comes when you get saved. It is a gift. God gives you saving faith as a gift. 
You might be here tonight and say, well, Pastor Andre, fair enough. I can see that God has apportioned me a measure of faith, but I tell you the faith I have is infinitesimal. It's so small. Well, God gives a measure to that amount of faith in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. So we have to accept because the word says so, all of us have been given faith, and now you might say, well, I've got the smallest amount, but what is the smallest amount of faith that God would give anybody? Matthew 17, 20 tells us, faith comes by, sorry, if you have, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So regardless of where you find yourself tonight, whatever situation it is, whether you feel you're being underpaid in the position that you are, whether you feel you are in the wrong place at the wrong time, whether you feel that there's family conflict that cannot be resolved, I want you to know from God himself and his word tonight that every single person in this room listening to this message is in a position to improve. You may not need to move a mountain, but he says with the smallest amount of faith, mountains can be moved. Through faith, the impossible can be made possible. Wherever you find yourself tonight, whether you're unemployed, you might be unemployed. You say to me, I don't know where things are gonna change. I'm telling you now by God that he's placed inside of you what you need to take you to the next level. My Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Apart from the way we feel. So if your faith is a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But faith can grow. Not only do we receive a mustard seed portion of faith whereby anything is impossible, but the Lord allows us and affords us the opportunity to be able to grow our faith. And this is the next question. How do I grow my faith? Romans 10 verse 17 tells us this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I learned very on, early on in my Christian walk, thanks to Apostle Theo, that faith doesn't come by having heard. It comes by hearing. Notice it's a continual present tense. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing, not having heard. Just like you're not sitting here today breathing and living because of a meal that you had 20 years ago. You ate this afternoon. It's why the Israelites had to go into the wilderness twice a day, in the morning and the evening. Why? To get manna and quail. Why? Because they had to be dependent every single day. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. That's how faith comes. But if faith comes, faith can also go. Faith can also leak. And that should concern us that our faith can actually grow weaker without us even being consciously aware of it. And you know when you found out that your faith isn't where you thought it was? When a crisis comes and you honestly hope God can fix it, but you really don't believe he will. And you enter into that crisis and you don't know how to manage it. It completely destabilizes you and throws you off, which is why Paul says originally when we looked at that verse in Romans 12 verse 3, to each one has been apportioned a measure of faith. Paul in that verse says, listen, you must judge yourself according to your faith. Now, there are different levels of faith. James tells us you get dead faith. You get shipwrecked faith. Jesus tells us you get great faith. So there's a spectrum of degrees of faith that we can have. 
And that's why the Bible says faith can grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if faith comes, faith can also go. That should concern us. How does faith go? Well, if we take a look at how faith comes and how faith grows, we'll also be able to ascertain how faith goes by looking at that scripture. Let's look at how it comes and then we'll know how it goes. By hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. So then surely faith leaves by hearing, but not hearing God's word, rather hearing things that are contrary to the word of God. The moment we subject our ears, you see, this is your faith gate. Pastor Theo used this illustration also when I was a young believer. This is your faith gate. Faith comes by hearing, okay? But so does fear. And so the moment you open these ears up more to what's happening around you, as opposed to what's supposed to be happening within you, faith is going to leave and fear is going to come. Now, I know this is elementary, just bear with me. I'm going somewhere, okay? So then faith leaves by hearing, but hearing what's contrary to God's word. If lending your ears out more to the opinions of men than to the opinions of God, by doing that, you think you're going to grow. You're not. You're going to go. You either grow or you go. Now, up until this point, what I've taught you concerning faith, that everyone's been given it, that the smallest amount of faith can do the impossible, that we can grow it, everybody, for the most part, is comfortable with that. You're saying, okay, I get it, it makes sense. Much like where Abraham found himself in Genesis chapter 15. And I would encourage you, if your faith is low, go study the book of Genesis chapters 13 through to 17. The life of Abraham and the lesson of faith. Pastor Theo has taught far better on it than I would ever do in 10 lifetimes. But Abraham found himself in this place, where I'm at now, in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. And this is what the Bible says. And Abraham believed the Lord. Why? Because God gave him a promise. God said to him, I'm going to expand your family. It's going to be huge. People will envy you. You can have such a big family, it's going to be something else for everyone to see. He got that promise from God, and the Bible says, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord declared him righteous because of his faith. But a very important point over here, folks, is this, and this is really where I want to kick in with the message tonight, that even though Abram had faith, and even though God declared him righteous, Isaac had still not yet been born. He'd received the promise. He knew, even God said, this man's got faith. But yet nothing changed for him. His circumstances were not altered. And I think it's very easy for us as believers to become really complacent with regards to the exercising of our faith, not growing it, not developing it, but when it comes to actually exercising it, that is where many of us drop the ball. And I'm pointing a finger directly at myself. When I looked into the man, when I looked into that old man's eyes, I saw a tranquility, a calmness, a confidence, and a joy that for a split second I really envied. 
And I knew if someone had asked me at that point, how was it going? And forgive me, I'm the kind of, I tend to share a slice of my life. So when I'm feeling weak, I'll tell you I'm feeling weak. And, and so I, even though I was on holiday, I felt I was tired. It's been a difficult year. And the first thing that would have come out of my mouth was, yesterday. I was challenged by this old guy that had nothing. I really was. And so I think it's easy for us as believers to become complacent with regards to how we exercise our faith. Like Abraham, we believe God can, but because we've missed the goal of what faith really is all about, we become complacent with regards to applying the law of faith. What is the law of faith, you may ask? Good question. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. Everything I've said has led up to this point, and this is what I want us to grasp tonight and what I was reminded of. So what is the law of faith? In Romans 8 and verse 2, this is what the Bible says. For the law of the spirit of life, put a circle around law. You're going to notice that over here, Paul speaks about two very distinct laws with two very separate and distinct outcomes. He says this, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Can you see there are two laws presented by Paul? The law of life and the law of death. Now, to help me illustrate the difference between these two laws and the impact that this scripture should have on us with regards to faith, I'm going to use an illustration. We're going to compare the law of sin and death to gravity, okay? And then the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, I'm going to apply to a different set of laws that produce a different outcome. I don't know how many of you have had the privilege of flying in an aircraft before, but we know that gravity affects everyone, correct? If I jump off this platform, Gravity is going to pull me down regardless of what I confess or what I believe. Gravity is a law. It's going to pull me down, right? But when you apply in aeronautical engineering, when you apply two different laws, the laws of lift and thrust, you are able, as long as you are consistently applying the laws of lift and thrust, to escape the law of gravity. But you must consistently apply the law. So notice there are two laws, the law of life, and the law of death. In order to escape the law of death, you have to consistently apply the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now stay with me. The law of faith works exactly the same way. Let me explain. I've noticed over 30 years of being born again that it is possible for believers to apply the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in one area of your life, but yet apply the law of sin and death in another. Getting back to my aeroplane example, if the aeroplane is flying and escapes gravity, what happens if you stop applying the law of thrust? The plane comes down, right? The law of gravity straight away kicks in again. That's why I say you have to continually apply the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus so that you can stay above you can stay above the law of gravity. So I've noticed that some people can apply the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in one area, but yet not 
in another. How many of you have ever met a healthy but poor Christian? Now, this is not a criticism. Please understand. I'm using this as an example. How many of you have ever met a healthy but poor Christian? Can I see your hands? Okay. I've met a healthy but poor Christian. How many of you have ever met a wealthy but lonely Christian? Can I see your hands? I've met a healthy but lonely Christian. How many of you have ever met a wealthy but sick Christian? Can I see your hands? Okay. How many of you have ever met a wealthy but spiritually weak Christian? Show me your hands. Wealthy but spiritually weak. And you can't reconcile the two because you wonder how does this work? How many of you have ever met a healthy, wealthy, miserable Christian? <laughs> ever met a healthy, wealthy, miserable Christian, okay? So now, this is what I'm suggesting the Scripture teaches us, that you have these two laws, the law of the life, of, life in Christ Jesus, the law of, the, of law of sin and death, and in order to escape the law of sin and death, you have to apply the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. To escape gravity, you have to apply the law of lift and thrust. So to answer the question, why is this? Why do we find contradiction, contradicting states within the same believer? Well, I believe, according to Scripture, it's because they are possibly applying the law of faith or the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus in one area, but in the other area, they are applying the law of sin and death. So again, to draw from my aircraft example, it is possible to be flying high in one area of your life. Now, there are five there are five dimensions to each of our lives. The first one is spiritually, emotionally, physically, socially, and financially, those five areas. So it's possible to be flying high in one area and in another area to be barely taking off. In the third area, perhaps to be plummeting to the earth. And it's dis-ease to be in that kind of state as a believer. So the solution simply is that in all five spheres of your life, we have to learn to apply the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus to set us free from the law of sin and death. So this begs the question, how do I know if I'm applying the law of faith in the one area or the law of death in another? And this is where it all comes together. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Proverbs 18 and verse 21. This is what the Bible says. Notice straight off the order. These two laws are presented to us. Remember Romans 8 verse 1, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. Notice here in Proverbs 18 21, the Bible says death and life. Notice how it's reversed. Death first, then life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Here we go, folks. The truth is this. The reason why many Christians live in a state of contradiction is because in one area they believe, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And they are saved. But where the Bible says that he himself bore our sicknesses and carried away our pains. They don't believe that. So it's possible to be saved and sick at the same time. And their tongues will align with the way they feel. They say, but how are you doing? I'm miserable. I'm sick. Straight away when this happens. Notice what it doesn't say. I want to get back to my notes. 
Notice what it doesn't say. Well, let me go back just a notch over here. So wherein does the power of these two laws lie? Does it lie in God? That's what the Bible tells us in Romans 8 and in Proverbs. Does the power of these two laws lie in nature? No. Does the power of these two laws lay in science? No. Do the power of these two laws lie in circumstance? No, it does not. Proverbs 18.21 says, you determine what law you are living under by the power of your tongue. Life and death. That's how I've quoted it previously, but death and life on the power of the tongue. And I believe Solomon in his wisdom put death first because he wants us to understand that if we don't consistently apply the law of the spirit of life, death takes over. Just stop attending church. Stop tithing. Stop giving. Stop being merciful. Stop forgiving. And honestly tell me that that is not going to negatively impact your life. When we stop doing consistently the things that the Lord has instructed us to do, our life begins to fall to pieces. I've been around long enough and a pastor in this church long enough to see people begin to make small compromises. And just when they think, and this is the deception, they think that, you know what? My aircraft is just going to keep flying because gravity no longer exists. The law of sin and death still does exist. It requires an application consistency of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So this right here, folks, is the answer to the title of my message this evening. What is the one thing every single one of us are going to need to do a whole lot more in 2020? And that is watch the words of our mouth. I'm as guilty as anybody. I can promise you we have management meetings. <laughs> you know, I'm just that kind of person that talks. And most of the time I talk rubbish. Give me half a chance. I go off on a tangent. I have my management team members. I talk for five minutes. They look at me shaking their heads. Sometimes I think they even wonder how sanctified my tongue is. Because I'm a very volatile and emotional person. So I can, get on the, I can get on that gravy train very quickly, which is why Pastor Theo, and you know this, has told me on more than one occasion, Pastor Andre, the less you say, the less you have to repent for. What he's saying is, stop talking. <laughs> That's what Pastor Theo's advice to me is. How many of you know what I'm talking? But I've been swept up just like everybody else. I've been swept up with what's been going on around us. And it took a sledgehammer in the form of an old man in Komichas, Nochal, to smack this born-again believing pastor, Bible college teacher, principal, to say, hey, he's got nothing but one can of baked beans, one two-liter Coke, one box of flour, and he can look at you with all the confidence in the world and say, so I'm inviting you as a church and those of you online as we head into 2022 let's trust God to place a God before our mouths and let's 
understand that whenever we speak, we are invoking one of these two laws spoken about so clearly in Proverbs. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof, the Bible says. So now that we know, whenever we speak, and I'd encourage you to get the power of positive words, the book by Apostle Theo. It is one of the greatest books, theological thoughts on the word of faith that you might ever read, and it'll save your life. But how many of you will join with me and say, Pastor Andre, guess what? I'm going into 2022 with two words on my mouth. Whether another strain or another thing comes out, whatever happens, I along with you, and somebody asks me, how are you doing? Hey, Pastor Lindsay, I can't follow say, Sien, altijd mooi. Altijd mooi. Doesn't it just sound beautiful? I mean, it's not even from the Bible, but I just loved it. And it left a lasting impression on me. Thank you for listening tonight. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Becoming a Christian involves speaking. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says this. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. God himself requires that we confess Jesus is Lord. And I want to give you an opportunity tonight. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've never surrendered to him, if you are here tonight and you are not born again, your heart is not right with the Lord, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to go to where you're at. I just want to pray with you. But I need to know who you are, so I'm going to ask you to raise your hand at the count of three and say, Pastor Andre, tonight I want to surrender. Tonight I want to give over my spirit to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of sin and death is no longer going to hold my spirit captive. I want to be with Jesus. If that's you at the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Right now, raise your hand in the air. Say, Pastor Andre, I need Jesus. Those of you watching online, raise your hand in the air in your study. Raise your hand in the air. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. Now let's all pray this prayer together. Every single one of us. Let's join with those who are committing their lives to Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of your glory. But tonight, I know that there is redemption in Jesus. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and you paid the price. You bought me back so that I can be at peace with God. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I make you the Lord of my life. I promise to love you and to serve you until the day I meet you face to face. Now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, listen to this promise from John chapter 1 and verse 12. To as, to as, to as many as have received him, which you've just done right now, to them he gave the power to become sons of God. 
tonight as you prayed that prayer, you become born again. The Lord has completely forgiven you of every sin you have ever committed. You have right standing with the Lord right now by faith because you prayed that prayer and believe. Let's give him a great God bless you. Even those online that got saved, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.